0: I Man, you can be uh, seated and we'll dismiss our school-age kids uh, to the back to go learn and bring attention real quickly to you uh, parents in here that when you came in you received a, uh, um, and a family activity guide that's going home with you for you to look through those things and help, your, um, help reinforce the things that they're learning here um, a second or third time at home is really going to help them learn those things. Um, So I encourage you to do that. I invite everybody, if you brought a Bible or device with you, to open up to Proverbs chapter 9. That's where um, we'll be today, and we are going to wrap up our series on uh, the book of Proverbs. And uh, I'm a little sad about that. I wish we could go probably four more weeks, but next week we're starting Advent, and looks like probably at the beginning of uh, the year we're going to start maybe the book of Acts. And so um, we're going to have to... Put a bow on this. Uh, I do encourage you to make it a discipline of your life to continue to read proverbs. The whole basis, uh, basis of proverbs, um, a father to his son about walking in the way of wisdom, and we need wisdom. And uh, basically, you got two options here. You can live and learn, meaning that you live and make mistakes and learn from them. You got to learn the hard way, right? You know what DC Talk said, right? Got to learn the hard way sometimes. so you can live and learn, or you can learn and live. You can learn first. You can avoid some of the pain and heartache of messing up, and you can learn first. And so that is what the wise father, and to us, when we read the wise father here, we're reading God the Father speaking to us, pleading with us to be wise children, to walk in the way of wisdom. And there's so much more Proverbs, I wish we had time to explore Um, Together, I wish we had time to talk about anger at the beginning of the week. That's what my sermon was going to be on today, was going to be on anger. We all deal with anger on some level. Some of us stuff it and get resentful. Some of us explode and hurt everyone around us. We all feel anger, and not all anger is wrong, by the way. In fact, the closer we get to Christ, the angrier we will be at real evil and its effects. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And who rules his spirit than he who takes a city? The whole point of being slow to anger. Wisdom asks, why should I feel so intensely about this issue? Or why does anyone actually need my opinion? Or why are we even talking about this? Is this really a gospel issue that I'm so angry about? I think Twitter and social media and emails would be cleared of a lot of conflict if we humbled ourselves and our opinions before Christ. Asking the question, what are we really here for? What does God want me really to be stirred up about in my heart? Being slow to anger, ruling your spirit, responding instead of reacting is the way of wisdom. I wish we had time to talk about sex as it's in Proverbs. It's in there a lot. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture. And now sex certainly isn't a bad thing, created by God to be enjoyed within the boundaries of a healthy marriage, and Scripture talks a lot lot about it, and Proverbs is not shy at all about sex, and its message is clear, sexual folly destroys, sexual wisdom satisfies, but Christ is better than the best sex. That's kind of the point. You read chapters 5 or chapter 7, you'll see this wise father pleading with his son to be weary of the adulterous woman. Saying basically, hey son, you're going to be tempted. You're walking into a world full of sexual foolishness. It's going to be offered to you as honey and you'll be attracted to it. But this honey will poison you. And this is a real thing and it's a real battle within the church. Not just the adulterous woman. Although she's mentioned a dozen or more times through the book of Proverbs. But sexual temptation is everywhere. Access to pornography on everyone's phone. So close. To us. At least used to in years past, if you wanted to fall into sexual temptation, you at least had to work for it a little bit, but not anymore. It's at everyone's fingertips at all times. And parents, if you've got teenagers or young kids that have a phone and you don't have some kind of way of tracking exactly what they're looking at and blocking some of this bad stuff from them, you're being foolish. This is definitely the way of the world. Don't be foolish thinking you can play with fire and not get burned. Verse 8 of chapter 5 says, Keep your way far from her, talking about the adulterous woman, and do not go near the door of her house. Don't think again you can play with fire and not get burned. It's honey that poisons if outside of God's design, one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage. I wish we had time to talk more about that. I wish we had time to talk about marriage. Again, Proverbs has a lot to say in the arena of marriage. In Proverbs 31, maybe you've read this before, uh, classically our Mother's Day texts, we see the kind of woman who lives by wisdom. Proverbs was initially used as a handbook for young men, and Proverbs 31 was the picture of the kind of wife they should be seeking, a woman who focuses on inner character more than external beauty, one that works hard and plans ahead and has incredible discernment and is a blessing to everyone who come near her. Verse 25 of chapter 31 says, strength and dignity are her, are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. I love that phrase. I've been thinking about that this week a lot. She laughs at the time to come. She's not worried about the future. No matter what happens, she laughs at the time to come because she's got this security, this joy that's in Jesus, this, this trust that's in God, her Father, that no matter what comes, surely she's prepared She's worked hard. Scripture says that. She's not lazy just saying, oh, God's going to take care of it. No, she's worked hard and left the rest up to God. She's not worried about the future because she's planned well and worked hard, but more because she fears the Lord. She knows God will provide. A Proverbs 31 woman is a woman of great faith. And as to not let the guys off easy, Proverbs 31 tells us a few things about men too. It gives us insight into the kind of husbands we should be. We should Trust and have confidence in our wives rather than trying to control them, verse 11. And we should consider our wives to be true partners in the enterprises that we're engaged in instead of disempowered assistance, verses 13 through 18. We should praise our wives and build them up both publicly and privately, verses 28 and 29. We, should be, we shouldn't be afraid of strong women since the very word used here of the Proverbs 31 woman is noble, also used... Of warriors really literally means bold and valiant. But can I give you the ultimate secret to a healthy marriage built on a foundation of wisdom? It's this idea of self-forgetfulness. That's the term Tim Keller uses. First one I ever heard use the word to describe the kind of person who walks in wisdom. It's a supreme mark of humility in the man, the woman of God who walks and wisdom, self-forgetfulness. It's not that you think less of yourselves, but you think of yourselves less. And if we thought of ourselves less, most marital conflict would fade away because our aim would be to serve and to cherish and to nourish our spouse. And when you've got two Spouses, a husband and wife, and this interdependence of leaning on each other and leaning on the Lord together, the the other stuff that gets in the way that mostly causes marital conflict seems to fade away. Self forgetfulness. And that's the key, not really just in marriage, but in everything we've talked about, in money and words and slothfulness and all the things that we've talked about, this idea of self-forgetfulness. It's actually the, the, really the basis of even discipleship as you fast forward to Jesus. And what did he say? If anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to deny himself. Sometimes you've got to quit listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Hey, buddy, this is not about you. This is about the God that created us and the mission that he's put in front of us and the people that he's put around us. And we are supposed to spend ourselves in sacrificial love towards them. we we'll look at Proverbs 9 again as our focus of the text this morning. And we're confronted with a choice there. The passage will describe two houses, one on either side of the road. On one side, a house stands open with the elegant lady named Wisdom inviting us in. On the other side of the road, another house stands with a seductive lady named Folly inviting us in. Which way will we turn? Now, the right answer seems easy on this side of things. In theory, we're often told today that all we need is the right information but if it was that simple, then all of us who claim to be Christ followers this morning would choose the right house, the house of wisdom every time, but we don't. Maybe it's a little more complicated than that. Sometimes it's hard to tell because our emotions can play tricks on us. Sometimes it's our old sinful nature that still exists. Even when we're not tempted, James says, we actually put our own lure in the water. Sometimes it's a trap, the thing that Hebrews 12 talks about that encumbers us and trips us up. And that's why it's so great for us to come to the book of Proverbs this morning, that we see what God really thinks about life, the law of the Old Testament applied to everyday life. Through it, we have a plumb line, literally the wisdom of God who made the world to work in a certain way. We have the truth right before our eyes, encouraged to memorize it and hide it in our hearts through the book of Psalms to meditate on it and muse over it and become so saturated with God's word That it's literally like food that sustains us. But you know what? If I really think about it, I don't think our problem this morning is a lack of truth or even a lack of self-awareness maybe on our parts. Of course, we all have blind spots and we make certain mistakes and we fall into certain traps and we make poor decisions, certainly. But this is really an issue of the heart. It's one thing to know which way to go. It's one thing to know the biblical principles of money and anger and uh, slothfulness and the way we use our words. It's one thing to know what we should be doing. It's another thing to obey from the heart. A couple weeks ago, we're sitting at the dinner table, and um, I don't know if your house is like mine, but uh, everybody kind of just, you know, actually, we'll cook a, a meal almost every night, and we'll sit down, and half of our kids don't want that. They'd rather have cereal, so... To get us all kind of seated at the same time, eating at the same time, is, is, is a lot of work. So we finally, we finally get there, and we're all eating together, and uh, Hudson's done, and he wants to leave. And I said, Hudson, yeah, he's my four-year-old Hudson, um, before you leave, the, the thing to say, the good manners is, you just ask, hey, may I be excused from the table? And he looked at me like, no way, Dad, I ain't saying that. He just looked at me when he gets angry, he kind of bends his head down and kind of looks up and just kind of squints into your eyes. He's got this grimace on his face. So he goes to get up. I said, Hudson, no, you're not leaving the table, son. You're not leaving the table until you say, uh, I'm finished. Uh, May I be excused from the table? And then he says, Dad, I don't want to say that. I said, well, okay, just sit there. So now it's this uh, battle of the wills between dad and son. And normally he gives up pretty easily, but not today. What did he say, 30 minutes at least? He's still sitting there. And I said, this is all you got to say, Dad, I don't want to say that. And then he said, Dad, I don't want to look at you anymore. I said, well, son, you don't have to look at me right now, but you're not leaving this table, buddy. I will sleep here tonight <laughs> before you leave here without submitting your will. He says it, gritting his teeth, 30 minutes into it. May I excuse from the table, please? So, yes, you will, son. There's a difference between outward obedience and inward obedience. And here's where we are today as a church: that we know that this is God's word, His infallible word to, uh, to us about all of life. We know the truth. Most of us don't even have we don't have an information problem about what truth is. We have an obedience problem. And even when we do obey, we obey kind of gritting our teeth. Not joyful obedience. No, it's like uh, like this, like, like Hudson at the table. Like God's going to punish us if we don't do it his way. So we're going to do it his way even though we don't like it. And if that's the only way that you can obey, then take that step of obedience. It still is going to protect you from a lot of difficulty in life. But what God is after here through all of the book of Proverbs is obedience from the heart. Will you really submit yourself to him and say, God, I want to go this way. I know your word says that we should go this way. Can we submit to God's word? Can we submit to the leadership of the creator of God of the universe when we claim that he's Lord of our life? It doesn't just mean that we want to go to heaven one day. It means that we, we know that to, to walk in the way of Christ is to walk in the way of wisdom and we will joyfully swallow our pride and humble ourselves and follow him. Even when... It's difficult. So here we paint this picture in Proverbs 9 of the author. Solomon paints this picture for us of this choice that we have to make. And it's a choice that we have to make every day. And not to make a choice is to choose folly. Just as Joshua said in Joshua 24, choose this day whom you'll serve. The wise father is lifting up both these options to the son and says, son, you're going to have to choose. I can't choose for you. While you live in my house, maybe I can help guide and direct and help you make some of these decisions. But you're growing up, and you're going to have to choose for yourself whom you're going to serve—Lady Wisdom or the seductive way of folly. Let's read the passage in full, and I'm going to read um, the first section and the last section, and we'll come back to the middle section in a minute. Starting in verse one, Wisdom has built her house; she has whom seven her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn an ear. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. It's the way of wisdom. Skip down to verse 13. Verse 13. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let me say a quick prayer for us. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray for us as a people, as, as we look into it to make application, that we don't just learn cognitively what it says, but it would be applied to our heart. Lord, may the seed of your word fall on fertile ground and may it produce change in us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. When we look into the passage here, we see quickly the the two houses on on either side, and they're very apparent that they're there. The passage actually divides into three paragraphs of six verses each. The first and third mirror one another, the the house of of wisdom and the house of folly, way of wisdom, way of folly. And then there's a middle section that we actually learn the two kind of people Uh, how they respond to the way of wisdom. The wise sage is telling us this is an either-or decision. There's no third option. The invitation to wisdom stands open to everyone. Wisdom, as we see in those first few verses, is is personified as a classy lady opening up her palatial home to us. But what is she talking about in real terms, taking the whole Bible into account? This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ as the wealthy and wise friend who has thought of everything we need and provided it in full. He's opened it all to us. Another biblical way of saying it is Psalm 63. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. Jesus himself said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is Lady Wisdom inviting us, hey, anyone that wants to be wise... Calling out to the simple to turn in. It says in verse two that she has slaughtered her beasts and mixed her wine and she has set her table. This is similar to the offer God made to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55 says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money or without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that doesn't satisfy? Listen diligent to me. He says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. This is not some fast food meal we're talking about here. No, this is the best. Think 2 John's attention to detail with the abundance of Texas Day Brazil. You ever been to one of those kind of restaurants that just, we went to 2 several times, Months ago for the first time and we sit there and they bring out the bread and butter and the waiter tells us we even make our own butter here. That's how you know you're at a nice place. Not that they make it in like, you know, not that it looks cool, but that they actually make the butter. Like I just picture Josh in the back with a butter churn, like just like working, working, working the butter. This is what we're talking about. This is not, this is not a fillet of fish here. This is this is uh, this is the richest affair, and this is what's being offered. Of course, they're not literally talking about the meats and wines. They're not talking about fajitas, they're not food that brings satisfaction to our hungry belly. No, this is talking about real satisfaction to the things that matter most in life. This is joy and peace. This is purpose in life. This is the table spread with wisdom has delicacies to satisfy us in every area of life. We see that just in the first few chapters of Proverbs. In chapter one, we see that wisdom preserves us from violent people. In chapter two, that wisdom enters our heart with peace. In chapter three, that wisdom can improve our our financial situation. In chapter four, that wisdom elevates our status in society. In chapter five, that wisdom actually makes sex Better. In chapter 6, wisdom gets up off the sofa and actually sets goals and accomplishes them. In chapter 7, wisdom protects us from temptation. In chapter 8, wisdom opens our eyes to the joyous creation in which we live. And that's just the first few chapters. We've not even gotten into the actual Proverbs yet that start in chapter 10. The point is that Christ has set before us the richest of foods. And invited us in. In verse 3 of this chapter, it says that she sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, turn in here. Wisdom, really Christ Himself, has sent messengers out into the world to invite more and more people into His banquet. Wisdom is bold and public. Wisdom cares very deeply about people. Turn in here, come and eat, leave your simple ways and lives. At least three invitations of wisdom to us. And they all come with it, this movement on our part to turn from foolishness, our natural bent towards sin and folly, the things that we naturally want to turn from those things and turn into this place of wisdom. Wisdom. Notice that this is an unconditional request that anyone can get in on this. There's no preface of all who are worthy or everyone who has their act together or just the rich or wealthy or just the poor, those in poverty. It's It's open to anyone. All we have to do is turn. Whoever is simple, whoever needs wisdom is saying, turn in here, maybe in the sermon on the mount that Jesus would say blessed are the poor in spirit that's what it's taught blessed blessed are those that are spiritually needy who knows that they don't have all the answers and this is a picture of repentance gospel repentance is more than just turning away from sin it's first and foremost turning towards Jesus Christ knowing that his way that he's the only way Christ is inviting us to come and receive his very best. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. He says in verse 5, he's telling us to come freely and to eat fully. As I said last week in Psalm 16, it says that in his presence there's the fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. And I know that to be true in my heart. But every morning when my alarm clock goes off and the Wee hours of the morning, I don't want to get up and get in his presence. At least most often I don't. And when I should probably be praying with my wife and having a serious conversation, there's nothing in me that wants to do that. My flesh resists it. I know it's the right thing, but I don't want to do it. As my kids get older and they turn into these little sassy mouth kids and they say something, I just want to knock their heads off. That's what I want to do. I know that's not Right. I know I should be with grace and respond to them and we should talk these things through. But my sinful nature that still, it doesn't rain anymore. I'm a child of of the king. I understand it doesn't rain, but it does remain. And I know the truth about what I should do. Again, this is about obedience of the heart. And Jesus is inviting all of us to come and receive his very best to come freely and eat fully. Bonhoeffer, in the book The Cost of Discipleship, wrote against what's called cheap grace. And he had a legitimate point, and I encourage you to read some of that, but be careful. Grace must be cheap, or it isn't grace any more. It wasn't cheap to Christ on the cross, but it's cheap to us. It's inexpensive. That's what exactly the force of this verses in 4 and 5 mean, a fine banquet of grace freely open to fools. It's free and it's available to any who will come. But let's not leave this out. Look at verse 6. It does require something of us. We have to leave the company of the simple. Why is that there? Why is that one little phrase put in there? Why is that there? Because Christ is creating a new community of wisdom. People who were once fools living for themselves, dead in their own sin, who've been made alive together with Christ and dwelt with the Holy Spirit who is continually leading us now into truth and bringing conviction where we veer off course. Now compare that to the woman of folly. Look in verse 13. The woman of folly, loud and seductive and knows nothing. I read one translation that just says, and she's stupid. I like that. That kind of just hits. Now, I know, kids, we shouldn't say stupid, but it says it here. So it's okay this one time, if you're talking about this, that folly is seductive and stupid. The problem with it is is that folly being, she knows nothing, but still she's giving advice to everyone. You know anybody like that? Who probably has the most jacked up life you've ever seen, and they think they can give you just great advice? I mentioned a few Weeks ago, like, I had the best parenting advice in the world before I had kids. I could just tell you exactly how it's done. But from a place of inexperience and stupidity, I had no idea what I was going to do. This is what it says of the woman folly. And this is what's so scary. It's the, it's, it's, it's the blind leading the blind. It's someone that you just, there's, there's no way that they can lead us anywhere. Herself, it says, Scripture says of her that she knows nothing. So why would we ever take her advice? because she's seductive and she uses smooth words. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten and secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there that our guests are in the depths of Sheol. Here in these few verses, we see some parallels, actually, with wisdom. Maybe you noticed them as we read them. That there are several things that are just so similar to wisdom's invitation in verses 1 through 6. are pretty striking. The message is even the same. They both sit at the high place of the city. They're both offering this. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. But there are differences, and it might take a second reading for you to see. At first, we see Lady Wisdom building her house with the seven pillars, this picture of strength. But Folly just sitting there, expecting others to be impressed. Second, Wisdom is offering us the very best of meat and wine. But Folly offers us bread and water that's actually stolen. Lady Folly actually went to a party right before this, and they had a few leftovers, and while they were off having the, having the party, she just snuck the food out and took it over to her house, and she's offering it to us now as stolen food. Matter, matter of fact, that the stolen food has actually gone bad, and she didn't tell us that, that it actually is going to lead to death. Thirdly, we see the difference, and wisdom is dealing honestly with us, but folly is making glamorous promises that cannot come true. And the fourth stark difference is that wisdom's followers live more and more forever. They actually get the abundant life that Jesus said he came to provide in John 10. But folly's friends die a quick death even before they know what hit them and this, this is the deal with temptation, and it's the way that folly has always worked, it's the way our enemy has always tempted us, all the way back in the garden, is there's some element of truth that is just thwarted. I mean, the water, the water is sweet, right? Stolen water is sweet to us for a little while, that is until guilt said sin or the consequences. Don't, don't think I'm up here saying that sin is not fun for a season. It absolutely is, or we would not give in to it all the time. It is, it is enjoyment for a season, for a night, or for a moment. But when the guilt and the consequences come, it was never worth it. Folly is promising satisfaction that she can't even provide. Folly says, whoever is simple, enter here to the one who lacks sense. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten eaten secretly is tasty. In other words, who cares where this food came from? It tastes good right now. And this is the temptation of folly every time. It's the temptation to look at the pornographic website. Who who cares what this is about? This feels good right now. It's when we react instead of respond out of anger. I don't care what I'm supposed to do right now. This feels good right now. I don't care that I'm supposed to set worthy goals and go work to accomplish them. I'd rather just be comfortable and slothful right now. This feels good right now. That's why she says stolen water is sweet in the moment. To be foolish usually doesn't mean that you hate God. You just really want some bread. The bread of success or romance or sex or family or pleasure. And if you have to temporarily leave God behind to get it, then so be it. And be careful. Because you might actually get what she is offering again church this is why we need the word why we need the gospel contained inside the word that the word of god becomes our litmus test our plumb line our guide for truth and not just the word but the holy spirit's revelation and application of the word anyone can read the word and never see its truth the holy Spirit. Illuminates truth to us. It makes it come alive. It impresses it on our hearts. It brings conviction of sin. It reminds us of who we are and whose we are in Christ. And this is the point of the gospel. For our sake, Jesus lived a perfect life. He chose wisdom every time against intense seduction. Then Jesus died on a cross a death that he did not deserve, a sacrificial death for the stupidity of the rest of us. And that is what the gospel announces. If you will receive Jesus by faith, he will give you his perfect life, his perfect record as a gift, and he will take from you your condemnation, nailing it to the cross. Now, knowing this changes everything, knowing that Jesus covers our sin when we deserve to be exposed, and he accepts us when we deserve to be rejected, and he rejoices over us when we deserve to be condemned and ashamed. That stunning new awareness will lift our hearts and our heads and take us further with him than we've ever dreamed of going. His love creates within us this desire to choose the right way to make the wise choice moment by moment. We look to him by faith and we see his love for us right now and we receive it and whatever might be our next step or step of obedience, we step out boldly knowing that God knows best and he wants the very best for us. We choose the right way and we choose it again and again and we're able to taste this richest affair that is set before us. Just a few minutes left. Let me look, look with me in verse 7, this last little section about the scoffer. Verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Verse 10 is the essence of the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom speaking, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life if you're wise you are wise for yourself and if you scoff you alone will bear it there's two different ways we see here that people react to wisdom there's the scoffer and the righteous Scoffers rarely find wisdom. As a matter of fact, Proverbs says, be careful even in treating the scoffer. He's going to hate you. You're going to get abuse ultimately because scoffers rarely find wisdom. The point is not that scoffers aren't invited. No, the point is that scoffers are so proud and so arrogant, they would never lower themselves low enough to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. For the scoffer, it's never their fault. It's always someone else's. It's never their problem. It's always someone else's. They'll never bend the knee. However, the wise man is humble enough to accept correction, to increase in learning, to grow wiser. Because of his fear of the Lord and his relationship with Christ, he receives the rewards of walking in wisdom. Now, can we close with this question, which, which way do we turn? What is your typical response when someone who loves and cares for you rebukes you? Now there's a way to do that wrongly, absolutely, but within a relationship, someone speaking truth to you, is your immediate response to punch him? Is it to choke him out? Is it to say, well, they don't even know anything that they're talking about or in every situation do we have something to learn? Can Can we be wise? Have you... Learn the art of self-forgetfulness. If you come to the place where you understand that this is really not about you. In marriage, it's not about you. In family, it's not about you. In the kingdom of God, it's not about you. The disciples struggled so much to learn this. To just days before Jesus is going to the cross, and the disciples are arguing who's going to be, you know, lieutenant. Who's going to sit right next to him? Who's the greatest? It says that they're arguing. Who's the greatest? When Jesus responds that the first will be last and the last will be first. The person who strives for prominence, even in the kingdom of God, they're going to be at the very end of the table. But those that were lowly and humble, that even the church might have seen as someone insignificant, they're going to be at the right hand. Only Christ can bring humility. And I think that's my heart as we wrap up this sermon is to ask you, how will you respond to the way of wisdom? What step of obedience do you take today? This last week we were talking about all the different things. Uh, I was talking to somebody in the church about the Christmas conspiracy offering and the Giving gifts, you know, bringing gift cards to Stephen and Morgan next week. And we got the big offering coming up. And we're going to ask you to send some cards to a church planter and thank them. We're going to ask you to bring some socks and, and blankets or jackets for the hub. And somebody says, man, that, you're asking a lot of us. It's like, you know, you're right. But doesn't that sound like the kingdom of God? Doesn't that sound like self-forgetfulness that this is not about me? And it's not about my stuff. And it's really even not about my bank accounts. This is about me giving myself, giving it in this self-sacrificing way to people who don't even deserve it, just as Jesus did for me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I had no hope headed into a Christless eternity where Jesus bankrupted heaven and came and dwelt among us and gave his life for us. And this is what we celebrate every week when we take communion. This is this physical, tangible reminder of this inward reality, of this thing that really happened. That's why Christ gave it to us as a gift, so that we would remember his sacrifice for us. We would remember the art of self-forgetfulness because we see it in Jesus, who didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself, taking on the form of a servant, and went even to the cross. And then invited us to join him. I'm going to pray for us. I pray that you would just take a moment right where you're at. And if the Holy Spirit began to press upon any part of your heart of existing sin. That you would confess those things to him. The band's coming up to play. And we'll give you some time to think through this. Man, I plead with you, don't walk out of here arrogant and proud like you've got it all together. But that we would learn to listen, to humble ourselves and to turn to the word of God. Illuminated by the Holy Spirit, points us to Jesus and Jesus pointing us to the Father. God, we thank you for your gift of mercy and that it's through your kindness that you lead us to repentance. You plead with us in your scripture not to be like the mule that fight against you, but to cooperate. Lord, thank you for your word in Hebrews 12 that you discipline those that you love. You bring conviction and Repentance can be the sweetest word that we know as Christians when we find our way in error. We stop, we repent, we turn towards you. Lord, I feel like the enemy has a stronghold in our lives in some areas. To some in here it's within the arena of sexuality and pornography. I pray, Father, that They repent of those things and turn towards you, that they would be, they would you'd be reminded even this morning that Jesus, you are better than those things. And some have gone off course in the issues of money, and you're calling them back to you to trust you, and others with their words, and some with laziness, and some even in marriage, right now, on the very brink of saying, I just cannot go on anymore. Lord, would you empower them through your spirit to humble themselves, even if it's mostly the other one's fault, and to serve their spouse, even like you served the church. But we know that we can't do this on our own. This is only possible through you and your grace. So God, in a powerful way, would you make this real in our hearts and in our lives? May people find freedom today. Others in this room that aren't even believers, would they step across the line of faith today and trust you? Father, as we take communion, would you remind us of the sacrifice Jesus made for us so that we could give our lives for others? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I give you time to pray and think through. Maybe you need to pray with your spouse. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with me. But you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion. Just Scripture says you need to be part of God's family. You've trusted him as Lord and Savior. That you're... Desiring to walk in obedience. And if that's you, I invite you to come forward when you're ready. There's no hurry. My invitation is that you would be serious with God and respond to where he's leading you. In Jesus' name.